0: They say parenting is the hardest job in the world and the most rewarding. As a mom, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. But what about parenting with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's? In other words, what about parenting when we're also dealing with things like brain fog, fatigue, autoimmune flares, weight gain, joint pain, and literally hundreds of other possible symptoms that can arise from thyroid imbalance? Getting proper medical care and medication is key, but even on medication, many of us do continue to deal with hypothyroid symptoms or autoimmune flare-ups that can make just getting out of bed challenging, much less showing up as the parent we want to be for our children. This is what we're gonna be chatting about today with my very special guest, Rachel Hill of The Invisible Hypothyroidism. Rachel is an award-winning patient advocate and author who's written extensively about topics like this. How can we help our families and loved ones understand our thyroid issues? Her past books and new book addresses this very important topic. We've got some practical real-world tips for you today, Thyroid Thrivers, so stick around. Hello, Thyroid Thrivers. Welcome back to another episode of Thyroid Healthy Bites, a weekly podcast dedicated to helping you live well and eat well so you can feel well. I'm Ginny Mahar, your host and the face behind the apron at hypothyroidchef.com. All right, welcome back to the show, Thyroid Thrivers. Today, we're going to be talking about parenting with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's. As thyroid thrivers, how can we navigate the built-in challenges that come with parenting while also navigating the challenges and symptoms of thyroid disease or living without a thyroid? This is an important question and one that I feel like we just don't talk about enough. So today we're going to talk about it with a special guest, a fellow thyroid advocate and thyroid thriver, and someone who has written and talked about this topic extensively in her books, blog posts, newsletter, and social media platforms. I'm thrilled to be here today for a lively conversation on parenting with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's with Rachel Hill. Rachel, hi, and welcome to the show. Hi, Jeannie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm
1: really excited to delve into this topic today.
0: Me too. And it's great to reconnect with you. For the listeners, this is not our first interview together. I was just saying to Rachel, I think the last time we talked, you weren't a mom yet, but I had Rachel on my previous podcast, Thyroid Refresh TV. That was about three years ago, and we talked about becoming your own thyroid advocate. I don't know if you were, <laughs> that's been a while, but I don't know if you remember that episode, Rachel.
1: Yeah, I think it might have actually been about maybe four years ago. It's—it's. It's, um, I know we spoke before um, my first son was born, and he's over three now, so yeah, it's okay. been a long time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, for the listeners, if you want to check that out, you can go back into the archives on my YouTube channel. Just go to, it's the hypothyroid chef YouTube channel, and you can just search Rachel Hill and that'll come up. You did, um, we had like an hour long interview on that. And you also did a three minute thyroid tips video for us on, you know, just different, simple, practical ways that you can advocate for yourself as a thyroid patient. So I'll also put that link in the show notes for everyone. But before we dive in today, I would like to tell you a little bit more about Rachel. Rachel Hill is the highly ranked and multi-award winning thyroid patient advocate, writer, speaker, and author behind The Invisible Hypothyroidism. Her thyroid advocacy work includes writing articles, authoring books, producing her thyroid family email newsletters and speaking on podcasts and at events about the many aspects thyroid disease affects and how to overcome these. She's very well recognized as a crucial and influential contributor to the thyroid community and has a large social media presence. Her best-selling books include Be Your Own Thyroid Advocate, and you me and hypothyroidism. And you've also got a new book for parents with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's, right? Can you tell us about that? Yes. So, uh Thyroid Superhero, which if you're watching the
1: video you can see behind me, um that was released on World Thyroid Day this year, so um about 3 weeks ago now. Um and that is for children to help them understand their caregiver's hypothyroidism. So Within the sort of age range of, I would say, around two to eight years old, um, it breaks it down really simply um, and just gives a bit of a starting point so that we can begin those conversations um, about maybe why mummy or daddy feels more tired on any particular day, why we might have flares. um, And I think it's also really important to make our children aware of the signs and symptoms of a thyroid condition, considering that there can be a genetic component too um so yeah um it's what I'm hoping will be a really useful tool to many families around the world.
0: Yeah congratulations on that it's a beautiful book and there's really nothing else like it out there the illustrations are gorgeous and it's just you know something I wish I had when my son was young enough to still be into picture books but um Mm -hmm. really a, a beautiful book and congratulations on that Rachel.
1: No, thank you. My um, my close friend Deborah, um, who is an illustrator by trade, um, I had to have her illustrate it. She's she's wonderful, and it was really important that we captured a wide range of families from sort of different backgrounds as well. Um, which I feel like we did with the book. But um, yeah, my own sort of three-year-old son was definitely the litmus test for it. There was a lot of um, reading the book to him and um all the questions that he, he's been asking me over the last year or so as he's become more aware of why I might feel more tired sometimes. Um, those are the questions that sparked me to create the book and form the basis of,
0: of yeah, what we were talking about with it. Well, great to know before we you know dive into this topic today that that's a resource that's out there for people and i just want to point out i mean the listeners have probably already picked up on this but you're joining us today from the uk which i want to mention for any of our international audience anyone in the uk it's helpful to have resources that are located in our own countries because you know we each have different medical systems there you know it's nice to have those local resources. So I did want to make sure that the listeners were aware of that as well. I always say I am British,
1: but I advocate for thyroid patients around the globe. Um, Obviously, what I specialize in talking in can be within um, the UK NHS medical system and and how I navigate that is is often going to be most relatable to people in the UK also navigating that. Um, But yeah, I work as hard as possible to understand how other healthcare systems work, um, in particular the US, because such a large amount of my audience are from there. So they they do sort of ask me a lot of questions as well. But um, yeah, it's um, definitely something to be aware of in case you <laughs> didn't pick up with my accent anyway.
0: Well, and I totally understand too. And I think that advocacy, it's not, you know, limited to geographical borders by any means. And, you know, one of the things that I have always really appreciated about your content is how much you share your personal journey with your audience. I mean, you've been writing and talking about this topic, um, specifically parenting with hypothyroidism, since you started your own journey with motherhood. And I was wondering, you know, to start, can you share with us a little bit about what it was like for you coming into motherhood as a thyroid patient? I think whenever I talk
1: about this, I always say that the journey kind of begins when I was newly diagnosed. So I had symptoms, those kind of thyroid symptoms of fatigue, um, muscle aches and constipation throughout my childhood. And um, By the time I was 16, those symptoms really started to ramp up along with sort of period issues and migraines and lots of hormonal kind of stuff mixed in there. Um, it wasn't until I was 21 that I was finally diagnosed, um, which, You know, considering how well I'd I'd been long for, it's a long time. But I'm, I'm well aware that a lot of people take even longer to get diagnosed or or diagnosed later in life. But to be finally diagnosed at 21, um, I was relieved to finally had an answer. To finally have an answer as to why I was feeling so unwell for so long. But at the same time, I was. It it had not been lost on me the impact that it might have on my decision or my desire to be a parent one day. Um, I. I wondered whether I would be able to fall pregnant, how a pregnancy would pan out. Um, I think when you're diagnosed with a lifelong health condition, often like thyroid disease, you don't know what you a don't know what your fertility will be like you you b don't know what your pregnancy will will be like while you're also having a health condition and growing and carrying a child and then you have absolutely no idea what your health is going to be like postpartum going into parenting and then navigating everything that um kind of comes with that I think when you don't have any pre-existing health conditions anyway parenting and pregnancy is such a huge um sort of upheaval of your whole life um so navigating that with a thyroid issue was um completely unspoken of territory it's not something that I'd seen anyone else cover um pregnancy or postpartum and then the later parenting and so I knew that because I've I've always been someone that has spoken about all areas um, of my thyroid condition previous to pregnancy and parenting. So I'd spoken about mental health. I'd spoken about how it had impacted my ability to work. And I almost fell completely out of working at one point because of the impacts of thyroid disease um, and the, infec- the impact it's had on family life and social life and sort of personal relationships. I knew that it just made sense to continue that discussion when I started to go down the route of um, pregnancy and parenting. And it just felt like a very natural avenue to talk about. And so, um, yeah, when I as soon as I found out I was pregnant, um, which thankfully did happen straight away, I had an initial pregnancy that ended in an early miscarriage. Um, and after that had happened, I spent the next about 14 months I believe it was um really fine-tuning and trying to optimize my health as much as possible before attempting to conceive again and when I did I fell pregnant um within you know that one cycle and from there I started just documenting as much as I could about that pregnancy and about the kind of answering all the questions that I had myself before going through it um and that's why a lot of my posts kind of cover the um I guess the preconceptions I had versus how things actually panned out um and what's been really interesting is having gone through that twice now because I currently have a three-year-old and a one-year-old son um as my pregnancies have been very different experiences um carrying you know some people might say that carrying a boy versus a girl is different but I was carrying two boys and they were very very different pregnancies um in all aspects from um even just the management of my thyroid condition. My first pregnancy, um, my thyroid condition was actually managed really easily. It was not considered an issue all the way through. And with my second one, um, it actually led to me having more of a high risk status. Um, My levels kept sort of suddenly dropping and I was having extra scans and extra monitoring um, and that was much more of a worrying pregnancy. So yeah, documenting all of this um, has just, it just made total sense to me. Um, I do continue to protect my children's privacy. I don't post their names or photos of them directly on social media, but the actual experience of pregnancy and parenting itself, I just think it's like you said, it's, it's never spoken about. Um, and the amount of people out there that are wondering, you know, can thyroid patients parent can, can we get through pregnancy? The amount of people that, that ask me, can we get pregnant? Um, we need to be having those
0: discussions. Absolutely. And, and discussions, you know, not just about like medical information, but discussions as patients about what it's really like to weigh out those big questions that come up, you know, I know, um, like they say, there's no tired, like hypothyroid tired. And I'll add to that. There's no tired, like new mom tired. And yeah. for me, I was diagnosed just a couple of months after my son was born. It was just a routine checkup. My doctor was like, I'm just going to run a thyroid test on you. Sure enough, I had hypothyroidism and she had asked me, are you feeling tired or run down? And I'm like, "You, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have like at the time he was probably six weeks old. I was recovering from a C-section. I hadn't slept more than two to three hours at a stretch because I was breastfeeding and up all night. You know, of course I was exhausted and brain fogged and out of it. And, you know, while I was madly in love with this new little member of our family, it really does kind of turn your whole world upside down, especially when they're infants for anyone, you know, much less if you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's. And I guess that is one kind of thing to quickly note here for the listeners is that pregnancy and childbirth can be common triggers for thyroid issues. So you do really want to work closely with your doctor to monitor your thyroid levels throughout your pregnancy, talk to them about this, you know, and also after childbirth. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what that looked like for you? You mentioned, you know, you had kind of different experiences with both of your sons uh, as far as managing your hypothyroidism through throughout pregnancy. What can you tell us about that? it is worth noting that for my first pregnancy
1: i was on uh, just armor um and that was the pregnancy that um we had my thyroid levels checked every 4 to 6 weeks throughout and it wasn't until i was 30 weeks pregnant that i actually needed a dosage change and the um the general recommendation is that um, patients have their levels tested all the way through but that often an increase in medication is often made as soon as you find out you're pregnant to um I guess, get ahead of that sudden higher need for thyroid hormone because it's so important in the first trimester of pregnancy. Um, And my doctor did initially do that. We tested only a week later and it it sent me sort of really hyperthyroid. So we went straight back to the initial dose um, and decided to instead just do a monitor and sort of watch and wait approach. Um, And by doing that, my levels didn't budge at all. They stayed optimal within their ranges. Until I got to 30 weeks, um, and then they just moved sort of more towards the lower end of the range. And I could feel it. I suddenly felt a lot more tired. Um, and similarly to how you said at your six-week check, it's it's hard to know what where the tiredness is, whether it's from your thyroid issue, whether it's from pregnancy or parenting. Um, but yeah, we we confirmed that it was indeed a thyroid tired um, increase the dosage. And then that saw me through to the end of the pregnancy. And I believe we only increased it by about sort of 10, 15%. It was a very minor increase, um, very straightforward, um, birth as straightforward and as pleasant as a birth can be. Um, he was born, uh, yeah, postpartum was, was fine. It was a very, um, sort of regular experience. I've, I've always, um, experienced migraines as well and i did find that they increased a little bit postpartum as my milk was coming in and we were kind of settling into breastfeeding but apart from that it was a very sort of straightforward regular experience um with the second pregnancy by this time so there was about uh there was 18 months between giving birth to my first son and falling pregnant again um and within that time my medication needs had changed slightly so after going through the postpartum period with my first um the armor thyroid, the NDT medication that was on was no longer optimizing my levels in the same way. So my body seemed to alter somewhat after birth. Um, it was a TSH for free T3 was fine, but it, it didn't seem to have enough free T4 in it. So, um, my doctor added a very small amount of levothyroxine along the side, which can be somewhat sort of controversial within the third world. It's not a combination you see often, uh, but it optimized my free T4 levels as well, I've got my levels sort of all where my doctor likes them to be. I felt a lot better as a result. I then fell pregnant about a year after that uh, with my second son. And yeah, I don't know if it was the medication itself um, or just something else entirely within inside of me. Um, But uh, yeah, all the way through my thyroid levels, just they kept dropping. It wasn't until I was about... 6 months pregnant that they were stable pretty much for the rest of the pregnancy but for the first 6 months we would test my levels we would see that the free T3 and free T4 had both dropped either to the bottom of the range or a couple of times below which can actually be sort of quite um dangerous and risky for the pregnancy and um, we would increase my dose test again a month later sometimes it had sort of gone back to normal and then the one after that it would drop again sometimes it had dropped further it was all over the place my levels would go back up there was a lot of tweaking a lot of close monitoring um but yeah from six months onwards it that was much more a straightforward pregnancy and by the time i was full term um three three weeks before my due date they removed the high risk status and deemed that things had settled. And I was fine to go ahead with a regular um, sort of birth and as close to my birth plan as we, as you know, as the baby would allow us to follow um, when the day arrived. But um, yeah, that postpartum experience was very similar to the first. It was pretty much a straightforward um, sort of recovery process. Um, I say that the hardest part for me has been settling into parenting each time when you are, juggling um a new tiny person that needs you for absolutely everything um running on a small amount of sleep or really disrupted sleep um yourself being a chef you probably um sort of appreciate especially the need to be eating more nutrient dense foods at that time of your life because your body's gone through a lot it's lacking in other areas like with sleep and yet i'd say that when you are freshly postpartum or in that newborn stage you are probably least likely, um, to be eating really nutrient dense food. I know for me, I was just kind of grabbing whatever, whatever I could get my hands on in amongst the chaos of everything. Um, and so with all of those factors that are often thrown up in the air, when you become a new parent or have a new baby, things like thyroid flares are way, way more likely to happen. Your thyroid levels might take a while to settle. I was really lucky that after giving birth to both of my children, um, We tested my thyroid levels four to six weeks after and then again another month after that. And both times they settled immediately and and were optimised immediately again. Um, And my doctor had me return to my pre-pregnancy dose um, for both pregnancies. So going back to the dose I was on before I fell pregnant each time. Um, I know for some women it can take their bodies a lot longer to settle back into Um, sort of its happy place and like you say a a lot of people um, actually get diagnosed postpartum as well so that can take quite a while to settle Um, but yeah for me the biggest the biggest challenges were during that second pregnancy and then just kind of finding my rhythm as a parent but a parent with chronic illness Um, with the other mums in the community that I was connecting with meeting up with with their babies um, I was just often finding that I had I had this extra complication that they didn't of a health condition to manage on top of the disrupted sleep, the not eating very well, um, not exercising in the way I used to, um, all of that. I think it's just another ball that you're juggling when you're a new parent.
0: Absolutely. And I'm so glad that, you know, you made it through both pregnancies, you know, healthy, healthy kids. It sounds like you were able to work with your doctor. So important to have a doctor that you trust that knows about these things and can help you navigate, you know, through the added complexity of, you know, having a thyroid issue on top of pregnancy, but really helpful, you know, I think for the listeners who are pregnant or wish to become pregnant to know what it was like for you with two very different pregnancies. And of course there's all kinds of possibilities that can happen with pregnancy, but um, Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that with the listeners and and as you said absolutely once the baby comes it is like buckle up <laughs> it's wild it's messy it's joyful it's just it's a ride for anyone so can you talk a little bit more about how you navigated through that infant stage with hypothyroidism like you like you mentioned the food aspect or you know fatigue and things like that
1: Yeah, so um, one of the best pieces of of, of advice that I received when I was pregnant with my first child uh, was to batch cook uh, healthy meals as much as I could while pregnant um, and to just freeze them. And so we did... a little repetitive if you don't mind eating a lot of the same foods then it works really well but we my husband and I did things um like um bolognese uh bean chilies things that you can pack just with lots of veggies that are easy to freeze um I don't know if you have an equivalent in the US but we have like a shepherd's pie or a cottage pie it's called over here which is like a beef mince with a lot of vegetables in as well um and we froze them in separate containers and we packed them away in the freezer it was pretty much all we could fit in the freezer and we had probably about 30 to 40 meals ready there to go. So that when we were in um, that sort of postpartum, fresh newborn haze, um, we at least had healthy meals that we could grab and warm up quickly. Um, and doing that really sort of gave me the idea to continue doing that even now even now on sort of healthier days if I ha- if I'm cooking and I've got extras to spare I will sort of batch cook and freeze them too for sort of future thyroid flare days because even though now I live symptom-free day to day um and I am thriving as you refer to your listeners as thyroid th- thrivers I am doing that um things still kind of crop up in life and we can still go through periods of flare up. so that is something that you can carry on whether you are pregnant, not pregnant, not don't even think you're going to become pregnant in the future, you can carry on that now. Every thyroid patient can take that tip with them. Um, but yeah, that really helped. I think I think the sleep deprivation is one of the hardest parts, and it's it's one of the things that most people talk about when you're expecting your first child. Everyone wants to warn you how tired you're going to be, and it, it's hard to know what to expect, especially on top of thyroid tired. I think thyroid tired plus a uh, newborn baby tide is just a whole other level. Um, for me, I found it really good to reduce expectations. So within the first few weeks, um, I made friends and family aware that I probably wouldn't be having visitors for the first few weeks. I just needed to be recovering postpartum, figuring out the whole breastfeeding thing. That, that is a whole journey of its own. Um, and breastfeeding can be um, harder to establish for thyroid patients, depending on their thyroid levels, too. We can have issues with supply and things like that. So um, I keeping that in the back of my mind, I made friends and family aware before the baby arrived each time that we won't be taking visitors for the first few weeks. Um And, uh, yeah, I kind of just let it be okay to be in my pajamas all day, to be sleeping in the middle of the day or at night, whenever the baby would allow, and just kind of let us settle in to figure out that new rhythm. Um, I think the more I talk to other therapy patients, the more I realize that a lot of us are often sort of high achievers or perfectionists, and it can be really important to reevaluate, um, those kind of I guess those expectations going into something like parenting because the first few months, especially uh, with a new baby, like you say, it's it's full of so many great emotions and great experiences and first experiences, but um, yeah, it can be so full on as well. Um, I think it's, it's really important to just give yourself some space to just kind of live in a bubble with your new family for just a few weeks um, and figure out the rest as it comes along, especially when it comes to sleep
0: deprivation. Mm, I love that approach, you know, (laughs) to give yourself that bubble, that sacred space to just, there's so much output of care. You also need the input of care too, as someone living with a chronic illness. And that's a reality. I know for me, it it just wasn't even on my radar. Thyroid stuff wasn't on my radar because I wasn't diagnosed pre-pregnancy. It was after pregnancy and the first four years after my diagnosis, my my hypothyroidism wasn't managed well. I had no idea I had Hashimoto's. I'm one of those people who does not convert T4 medication into T3 very well. So I had a ton of hypothyroid symptoms. I didn't know that much about food and lifestyle. I mean, my doctor was telling me it doesn't make any difference. Just take your medication and monitor your TSH. And it really made those first four years hard with my son. And I always tell that as part of my story. Those were the first four years of my son's life before I became an empowered patient and went looking for better answers and found them and got my life and energy back and was able to become the person and the mother I wanted to be for him. And what yeah. I would give to be able to turn back the clock and have learned these things sooner. Um, So, you know, just wanted to share that for anyone listening who's like, well, I, you know, my kids are maybe older. I've already had my kids, but I'm still in this, like, you know, for others who maybe went through like what I did where they were diagnosed after pregnancy. And I'll say, you know, that really affected my decision about whether or not to have another child because- that time was so difficult of just feeling tired every day, all day from the time I woke up till the time I went to bed. And, you know, I have to wonder, like, how could things have been different had I known sooner, had I been empowered with that information? So just, you know, some more personal sharing for the listeners, because it's so helpful to know we're not alone in this. And there's so much that you can do to to reclaim, you know, a health from a health situation, a thyroid situation, that's kind of taking you for a ride. And also, if you already know you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's, there's so much you can do to navigate pregnancy, postpartum, you know, having young kids to make this work for you, which is exactly what you're talking about. And this is just so helpful. I'm like, so happy to be able to share you and this information with the listeners. Um, One thing you mentioned was batch cooking. And yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I think anyone at any point on their healing journey, batch cooking is so helpful. Like your freezer is your best friend. And I know not everyone has, you know, the space for this. We have like a chest freezer in our garage and I keep it stocked. I'm always like making batches of bone broth. I call it freezer treasure yeah. and it's it's like <laughs> money in the bank. So really helpful tip to, you know, what do what you did, which is to put a little extra time and effort. You don't even have to make extra meals, just double a recipe. Yeah. put the extras in the freezer and then you've got something to eat because that food aspect is so difficult when we're when we're new moms or postpartum you know newly postpartum and so so tired and navigating not just the you know regular hormonal fluctuations but also trying to right ourselves with our thyroid levels so that we can you know start getting our energy and our metabolism back and things like that so really great tip there You mentioned um, shepherd's pie, great freezer meal. I'll just mention a couple others that we really liked, um, like pulled pork, like shredded pulled pork. Like you can do like a chili verde pulled pork or like a barbecue pulled pork, uh, gluten-free, of course. That freezes really well. You know, the bolognese sauce, all kinds of soups can be really, really helpful. Some friends set up a dinner train for us when I was pregnant. So after James was born, our strategy was once a week. It, might, it might've been twice a week. I think it was maybe one, let's say once or twice a week, somebody like set up this calendar and our friends could sign up for a night and they would show up with dinner at like a home cooked meal. And for us, that really helped with avoiding an overwhelming influx of house guests, like everybody showing up to meet the new baby at once. Like all our friends knew, Oh, I'm on the calendar two weeks from now, I'm going to bring a meal and I'll get to hold the baby and see how they're doing and all that stuff. So that was a nice way to not only help with food, but also kind of do like a slow and gentle, um, introduction of our son to our community, our friends and family. So, just wanted to share those tips as well. But I'd love to talk a little bit more with you about food. Can you tell us, like, how are you eating now? Are you gluten and dairy free? Um, I'm curious, like where you're at with that, or what your personal, you know, dietary considerations are? How has that helped you? How have you had to kind of navigate that with kids as well? uh yeah so um in terms of uh diet
1: what i i don't eat gluten um i don't drink alcohol i had one alcoholic drink to celebrate my book launch a few weeks ago and that was the first drink i'd had in about four years so far that (laughs) i don't drink alcohol um and i don't do caffeine those are the only things i truly avoid um I was also dairy-free for about four month, four or five months, um, a few years ago to see if that helped. Um, it didn't. I felt no different, and um, I'm quite, I'm quite passionate about helping and un- helping therapy patients to understand that dietary needs really do differ. Um, I'm not one for making blanket statements that we all need to be following very specific diets or all avoiding the same things. Um. I know that going dairy free does help a lot of thyroid patients. I tried it for quite a long time, and it, it didn't help me. But what it did do is it it gave me a lot of stress, um, which in turn sent me down a whole sort of unhealthy adrenal function road. So I think there's a real balance to have with um, eating in a way that supports your physical health, that also doesn't contribute to more um, kind of like mental stress. And you know, we want to keep the whole of our bodies in check. So there's a real balance to have there, but um yeah i i feel best when i'm avoiding gluten and i'm not drinking alcohol or caffeine um in terms of then how i eat generally um i eat a little bit of everything pretty much and i i t- try to base my meals around protein healthy fats and always getting some carbs and veggies or in the morning at lunchtime i'll have some fruit in as well um and that's really it for me i try to keep it simple i try to eat a rainbow of food um bearing in mind that sometimes my three-year-old in particular can be quite picky with food. We always offer, um, a range of food. Like he, he, our children eat the same that we do. And we make a range of, um, more traditional, I guess, kind of British meals to, um, a lot of Asian food. We really like, um, sort of Thai and Vietnamese food. Vietnamese in particular is, is quite good for being naturally gluten-free and dairy-free for listeners who are dairy-free as well. So, um we like a lot of sort of like asian salads and stir fry type foods as well um we actually had our honeymoon in thailand and vietnam five years ago so that's where we really fell in love with that Um, and we discovered just how easy it is for a gluten-free diet so um yeah we we eat a bit of everything um but for me it's really important to keep things sort of fairly, fairly convenient in the way that I having two young children I don't have the luxury of being able to be in the kitchen for a long period of time making you know a 60 minute recipe so if I can find a convenient balanced recipe that can be made in sort of half an hour or less, um, then that is my go to and I do have a few thorough cookbooks that i really love for things like that um there are things like making jacket potato type recipes but using sweet potatoes you can get really creative um, with toppings in terms of like getting protein from things like beans if you're you know if you don't eat meat or you're looking for other alternatives um i think as well it's important to be aware that not everyone um can afford to spend a lot on, on food um, and that that can differ from household to household so i'm yeah i'm always wanting to sort of stay aware of different people's financial um sort of constraints to what they can afford to buy as well and just just trying to work within that in a realistic way um i think there are very simple changes that we can make to improve our health when it comes to diet and um, without feeling overwhelmed or you know as if we can't stay committed or afford that lifestyle so yeah i think going gluten-free i found i found tricky initially i've been gluten-free now for about I'd say about six or seven years. And for the first few months, I did find it quite tricky. But um, actually, there are a lot of gluten-free alternatives out there. And if I'm being honest, I don't really purchase them a lot anywhere. I never really ate a lot of bread or pasta and things like that. So um, I adapted fairly quickly. And yeah, like I say, kind of focusing on protein and healthy fats for every snack and meal, I find that really important just to my overall energy, overall mood, um, seeing me through the day running around with small children, I find that really important, um, And uh, yeah, I implement that with them as well. They have a lot of snacks around things like nuts, olives, cheese, uh, avocados, peanut butter, almond butter, cashew butter. There's such a a range available now that you can get quite creative with these things. Um, But yeah, when it it comes to my diet, um, I try to keep it simple. Um, I try to think about what can I add in that would be good for my body as opposed to sort of taking
0: loads of things out and uh, worrying about food. Absolutely. You make so many good points. And I couldn't agree more, you know, it really is a personalized endeavor. And we don't win win any awards for eating the fewest <laughs> different foods. You know, the goal is always to have as much diversity and food freedom as we can. And also to identify those foods that really don't work for us, like for you, you found it's worth it for you to eliminate gluten alcohol, caffeine, you know, and you've identified that hard line too, which is something I try to coach people on a lot. Like this isn't forever. Even if you're, you are embarking on something like the autoimmune protocol, it's not meant to be forever. Eventually you want to reintroduce that and get to that point where, you know, okay, this is my hard line so that I can enjoy going to a restaurant, a party, Not feel stressed out about food because we're not talking here about like, let's be on this super regimented restrictive diet so that, you know, uh, there's going to be some like promise of remission or something like that. It's got to be sustainable for you. And as you mentioned, that's partly your unique dietary needs and sensitivities. It's partly your life circumstances are you cooking for a family are you know how accessible are these foods for you and all of that comes into play what's your health situation are you yeah. in like a major health crisis where maybe some time on a therapeutic like gut healing protocol might be worthwhile so yeah, yeah you make some really really good points Rachel i really appreciate that Um, I'm curious, is your household, this is kind of a hot topic. I'm, you know, I am gluten-free. That's kind of like my hard line gluten and dairy. And also, you know, try There's a lot of foods I really minimize in my diet, like alcohol, um, really careful about what kind of caffeine, like I pretty much only drink matcha and, you know, I have my, like my own bio-individual eating approach as well but I don't live in a gluten or dairy free household. Some experts feel, no, you should, you absolutely should say these are my dietary needs. And so my family has to abide by this too. How, how do you approach that in your family?
1: Yeah. So in my house, I, I'm the only one that follows these uh, dietary restrictions. Um, for the most part, because what I cook is gluten-free, my family mostly eat gluten-free too. I think the only things they will eat that have gluten is they have their own loaf of bread um, and we have separate toasters i have my gluten free toaster they have their (laughs) toaster um and things like cooking utensils um are separate as well so that we're avoiding cross-contamination but again if we're making things like stir fries we use rice noodles which are naturally gluten free um and you can get a, a range of different types of noodles and spaghettis made from like veg and all sorts of things these days so um yeah naturally everything we make is probably 90 percent of the time gluten-free anyway but um sort of going back a bit i have a history of um eating disorders too so um sort of the environment that i grew up in as a child was not particularly healthy around sort of like approaches to food and body image and then getting diagnosed with a thyroid condition quite young and i saw my body sort of fluctuate a lot Um it was the perfect kind of recipe to trigger these disordered eating behaviors and so um, for a long while, I was struggling with um, body image and sort of really severe calorie calorie restriction. I mean, going days hardly eating anything, using exercise as a as a punishment if I did eat anything. And um, it was a really toxic place to be in. And um, I would say that I am recovered now, although every every day it's still kind of always there, and, and you're still trying to undo these thought patterns that you had for a long time. And being a mother, I. I find it of paramount importance to not to ensure that I don't encourage any kind of patterns like that in my own children. And I, I wouldn't want them to have that unhealthy relationship with food that I had for such a long time and, and still struggle with sometimes. So um, I don't want to restrict foods like that. I don't want to put things on a complete ban list. Um, I think if they started to have issues as they got older, um, I, I know the signs of, of foods not agreeing with people. and um, my husband doesn't um, avoid dairy um, completely, but he knows that if he eats um, if he eats something high in dairy, maybe sort of a, a mac and cheese or a really cheesy pizza or something like that, um, that can give him quite a, a bad stomach. So he knows that he basically limits his dairy to just a splash of milk and coffee and things like that. And he's absolutely fine. But apart from things like that, um, yeah, I would never sort of put hard lines on on what my children can and can't eat apart from the obvious you know we limit sugar they don't have fizzy drinks things like that but yeah I want them to grow up with a healthier um view on on food and diet than I had when I was when I was sort of a child and a teen so um yeah that that for me is probably the main reason why I haven't sort of enforced that on them too I want them to come Mm -hmm. to their um, and nothing in our house is off limit either if we do have things like chocolates in the house um they know that once they're eaten they're gone and we don't tend to replenish them unless it's like a special occasion or things like that and we practice moderation um i try to limit my sugar i don't avoid it entirely um like you said about wanting to still enjoy life and go out go out with friends and socialize and and go to restaurants and enjoy if someone gives you a box of chocolates at christmas things like that um i strongly believe that it's just all within reason and and we all need to find that line between you know if i eat two or three of these chocolates i'll feel okay but if i eat the whole box in one sitting i'm going to have a mad blood sugar crash i'm going to feel awful for a couple of days because my body's just wondering what's going on um i think it's really important for us all to figure out what that looks like for us
0: kind of along similar lines how do you feel your um, food and nutrition approach has supported you as a parent specifically?
1: I think since being a parent, I, I say think, I, I know for sure, actually, since being a parent, I have been glutened on a few occasions, whether that's eating out somewhere or um, a family member has made us a meal and they've they've said that gluten wasn't, wasn't in it, but the reaction that I've had is only the reaction I have when I consume gluten. So I'm pretty sure it has been in there somewhere. Um, apart from, Those kind of like slip ups, um, for the most part, I've stuck to my diet quite well and that does support me in terms of having a sort of reduced fatigue and brain fog if, if I do get glutened or like I say in those first few months of having a new baby when sometimes all you can reach for is biscuits and a cup of tea or something that's not as nutritious in those few months I definitely felt it and as, as soon as I could get the energy back to get back on top to eating healthier or you know when we were getting the the frozen meals out of the out of the freezer and heating those up on those days I felt so much better and so that has always encouraged me to then get back on top of it once we're kind of through that newborn phase and it it does wonders I, I think what you eat is such a huge part of how you feel day to day and I think it's a really underrated part of what I like to call the thyroid jigsaw puzzle so there are a lot of pieces to our puzzle um to help us get back to good health and to living symptom free or having your Hashimoto's into remission you know however you like to class that um whatever Good health looks for you. Um, there's thyroid medication is just one piece of that puzzle, and I think diet is sometimes a bigger piece of that puzzle because what we do or do not eat um, can impact us both, both positively and negatively. Um, and when you're a parent, you're often already so low on energy and perhaps feeling a bit brain fogged from lack of sleep or having to remember a million and one different things uh, you know today at nursery my son had a pirate themed day um, you're having to remember to send them in um, with certain costumes for themed days at, at daycare or at school and then the books that need to be returned and there are various things that you need to remember you're likely to be somewhat tired and brain fogged on some level as a parent all the time anyway especially when they're young um, and what you eat can form such a Such a good foundation for going into each day with the best start possible, no matter what parenting is throwing at you. I always like to make it clear that I I am symptom free and I do live well with my thyroid issues, but life is stressful things get thrown at us whether it is pregnancy whether you experience a you know a death of a of a close loved one or um you have a really stressful work situation when those things hit us our health is very likely going to move up and down on this scale of how well controlled our thyroid condition is and there's only so much we can do about those things occurring if anything at all but what we eat can be such a good foundation along with our thyroid medication along with how we are exercising or um optimizing sleep or having ways to manage our stress and um, all of those form a really good foundation so that when these stressful life events or periods happen like having a new baby um yeah we, we've kind of got something to go back to even when the rest of the rest of our health is just wobbling a little bit
0: a hundred percent and so well put and <laughs> It kind of brings me to my last question for you before we wrap it up. Is you know just thinking about that kind of unfortunate reality of being a thyroid patient, even one who's well informed and is doing all the right things to manage their condition, is that we all get those those curveballs. We all face setbacks. Maybe there's a new gut health issue that's popped up, a new food sensitivity we haven't figured out yet. For those of us with Hashimoto's, we might experience autoimmune flares where some triggering event or like a perfect storm of stressors just sparks this spiral of symptoms that can really stop us in our tracks. So Rachel, I'm curious, how have you, well, first, have you experienced that as a parent? And if so, how have you coped during those difficult times? I know we talked about food, but are there other lifestyle things that have helped?
1: Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of, oh, no I, no, I do have a really good example, actually. Um, about seven and a half months ago, uh, my husband and my then two-year-old were actually involved in a car accident and they were sort of getting into our car in a supermarket car park when another car drove into them. Um, this was late last year. Mm-hmm. My husband pushed the two-year-old out the way and so he sustained mostly just bumps and bruises um, and I guess sort of like the mental trauma. Uh, My husband just last week has had another leg operation. He has ongoing injuries um, that he's still being treated for. Um, And at the time when it was fresh for the first month or two, um, it sent what was a very stable thyroid condition that I'd had for quite a while. You know, I kind of forgot about it most of the time. I didn't think about it day to day. Um, It sent it completely out of whack because we had this huge stressor of, Uh, My husband was in the hospital for a week. I couldn't get there to see him because I had my two young children to look after now almost as a single parent, solo parenting. um, And they couldn't come to the hospital. They weren't allowed in that particular area of the hospital. So I couldn't get there without someone else taking care of them. But my older son um, was going through a lot of mental trauma from the incident and he didn't want to be away from me. So there were all these logistics um, associated with it that I was suddenly a lot more physically fatigued uh, and mentally sort of drained and having to carry so much my again dietary things kind of went out the window because you go into i guess survival mode when chaos arrives um and various things got put on pause i was no longer exercising um I guess for enjoyment, like I, instead of doing yoga in the evenings, I was just so fatigued by the time that the children were in bed. There was no extra time or energy to do that level of exercise. The exercise I was getting was running around all day, just trying to do the work of two parents, um, as well as, you know, taking, taking care of my husband who was in hospital. And it was such a crazy time that I spoke about quite publicly on social media, because like you say, knowing how to navigate chronic illness and parenting in those kind of I guess times of chaos um we don't really talk about it but we all get thrown these curveballs while having thyroid disease and parenting and knowing how to navigate that can feel nigh on impossible I know for me again pulling things back to trying to keep things as basic as possible definitely helped me in that time um I I knew that if I continued to do too much that my health would just continue to be on this downward curve and that the longer that would happen, the harder it would be to recover it later on. So I try, I tried to draw back as much as I could in other areas. So I, I didn't do any additional exercise than I really had to so that I wasn't physically overexerting myself and, and sort of leading into a flare or a worse state of health. Um, mentally I drew back on as much as I could so with my work and um I thought advocacy work is my full-time job I paused a lot of projects I rescheduled a lot of things like this speaking you know public speaking events and, and podcasts and interviews rescheduling things like that that just they weren't a necessity at that time of that time of crisis um and in terms of diet I would say that is one of the areas that really took a hit for a while it did often come down to convenience foods because I hadn't prepared for this sudden (laughs) this this sudden sort of tragic event to hit that the freezer wasn't fully stocked or at least we didn't have meals to take us past you know the first week or so um so I did start to pull in from friends and family people would drop off more nutritious meals for us or um, if I did go to order something like takeaway I would opt for sort of a healthier takeaway things like there are quite sort of trendy takeaway options these days where um, you can order um, sort of things like salads um, and sort of like salad noodle options and things like that as well and there were sort of small things like that that made me feel like I was I guess keeping on top of those areas just, just enough until we could get through to things calming down a bit more um, and we could get back on top of it but yeah, I guess at the time, I just I had to reassess everything in terms of what is absolutely necessary and what can I compromise on for the next few weeks um, until we got to the point where my husband was home. Um, and initially, you know, he couldn't get out of bed and move at all. But through physiotherapy, he could gradually do more and more. And as we could get back towards our normal um, things like what we were eating or my exercise and um those kind of things they could slowly sort of take over a bit more time in the day-to-day as we found our new balance but um yeah I I think it's really tricky whenever you go through a period like that and my example um will sort of feel extreme in some cases in terms of the sort of life events that can come up and Mm -hmm. challenge you um and it will be nowhere near what other people are experiencing in terms of you know the people losing jobs losing their homes Losing loved ones um as opposed to them sort of being injured from an incident like this, so it's as with anything, it's a really wide scale and I think it's it's really important to review all of these aspects in terms of how you personally work within your family and within your household and the kind of support that you have close by and um, if you have people who can help watch your children for a while or um, if your children have friends and you know those um parents are happy to take your child for a play date for an hour or two just to kind of give you an hour to maybe squeeze a bit more sleep in or to cook yourself something nice and nutritious or do some yoga if that's what's going to help you. Um yeah, um, it's I don't think there's any easy way um to there's no easy formula in those times, but I think it, the bare bones are to sort of draw back and really really reassess what is absolutely necessary just to get through that
0: time of crisis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hear a lot of basic self-care and prioritizing as far as, you know, your work and your responsibility, your responsibilities went during that time, cutting away anything that was not essential and giving yourself that, you know, a little more breathing room to find the time to lay down to cook a meal to you know do whatever you needed to do take a bath or whatever to get through that but oh my gosh how terrifying i'm so sorry to hear that you went through that and thank goodness your family's okay oh my gosh wow what an ordeal i know it was
1: i think since being diagnosed that's probably bar sort of like pregnancies the second pregnancy in particular that sort of period last year was probably the biggest um knock that I've had to my thyroid health so far because it was just yeah it was it was knocking things in various ways from the sort of mental stress to the physical stress you know I wasn't sleeping well because my two-year-old was up a lot in the night having night terrors reliving the incident and then my husband needing that physical support because he couldn't do anything for himself to begin with um yeah when you're being pulled in so many different directions um you just kind of go into survival mode and i think i i was able to run on i guess adrenaline and just kind of pushing through um for a few weeks and then i did get to a point where i crashed and i was in a thyroid flare for a good week or so and at that point um we really did have to pull in a lot of friends and family to come round every day while i rested while my husband rested so that he could recover and the children's were sort of being looked after as much as possible by other people or you know even if I couldn't sleep I would be sat there on the sofa I guess kind of like guiding them on oh you know he needs this he needs that and um kind of offering that kind of support while I just sat and and physically was able to rest in that way so that I wasn't running around seeing to everyone constantly um it's um Yeah, I think it's just an ongoing thing. I think one of the misconceptions with having a health condition like hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's is that we have this checklist. And once you tick all of these things off, you get the right thyroid medication, you go gluten and dairy free, you swap out high cardio for for yoga and walks and things like this once you do all these things you're in remission and you're good you're set for life and it's all under control and you just sort of carry on and i think that's one of the big misconceptions is that it often kind of wavers and moves up and down as we're kind of going through life and we have these different experiences whether it be pregnancy or other big life events or um yeah, even other hormonal shifts like um, the perimenopause and menopause, they can cause a big shift again for people who have previously had their thyroid condition quite well managed. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important to sort of keep talking about how it's okay for things to move. We we just continue to keep figuring it out, and it, it helps if we kind of learn to move along with it and just ride it a little bit while still endeavouring to figure out what it is we need to do to get ourselves back on track.
0: I think that's where the food lifestyle, those practices can help us right ourselves. You know, I always think of like that threshold of stressors and it could be one event. It could be like multiple smaller events, like it's summertime and I'm staying up too late and socializing a lot. So, you know, maybe consuming more foods I know aren't right for me, drinking more drinks I know aren't the best for me. And then I have a big, Physical adventure day and boom, face plant. I'm on the couch for the next three days with no energy. I mean, it can be so many things. And this pressure we put on ourselves, if I just do it perfectly, and I know I've experienced that and fallen prey to that, you know, especially as a health coach now, it's like, if I have a gut health issue pop up or end up in a flare, it's like, how, what did I do wrong? And sometimes life just happens. Yeah, you know, and I think you touch on that. We only we can control the things we can control, and the other stuff we can learn to manage. We can learn to navigate. We can learn how to prioritize what's essential. We can learn how can I write myself more quickly from this this thing, this flare, whatever it is. This. Yeah. Thing. But that happens to all of us, even those of us who are well-informed, who are doing all the things, who know, you know, how to thrive with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's. There's only so much we can do. And it's like, um, it makes me think of that quote, you know, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn how to surf. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think as well, some some other areas that like we've not touched on when it comes to going through stressful periods general parenting or in flare periods well as well um other things that you can do to help yourself like just just get to bed on time just don't be staying up late yeah. night, after night give yourself a hard time that electronics need to be off for a lot of people that's like sort of eight o'clock onwards in the evening. Blue lights, electronics off, have a wind down period of an hour or two and then get to bed and get your body into this rhythm of having sleep at a set time. Um, I know as a parent, it's really tempting and I'm not perfect at this, but it's really tempting to put my children to bed at half seven in the evening usually and then spend three or four hours sitting up doing nothing much sometimes just scrolling on my phone or kind of getting things done around the house um because i feel like i need that time to myself because i've been parenting all day and now i need time to mm-hmm. myself but a lot of the time what my body needs is actually to be in bed at the right time so that when my youngest is waking up at half 5 in the morning which he does a lot at the moment he's he's a very early riser um if i'm going to bed at midnight and being woken up at half 5 i can only do that for a couple of days before i'm in flare territory so Stocking up on that sleep and getting into the habit of getting to bed sort of by 10, half 10 every night. If I'm up at half five the next day, at least I've had a good solid um sort of seven-ish hours, which is really like the minimum that my body needs to function in the right way without going into a flare. Um, I think that as a parent is highly underrated. Um, getting yourself to bed on time and optimizing your sleep. We can't always stop our children from waking up early, but we can get ourselves to bed a bit earlier, perhaps. Um and looking at things like our vitamin and mineral levels too so it's really important that you obviously test your levels before you take anything but um if you are really tired and your your thyroid levels are perhaps coming back okay or optimized it's also worth looking into things like your vitamin d your iron your b12 levels those are often low with hypo and hashis as well um and a lot of people put their tiredness down to parenting tired which it, it can be a thing um but if it is from something like that from a low vitamin level that can be corrected through supplementation that can help you a ton as well um and when you're going through particularly stressful periods or um one of the part one of the things i found find particularly difficult about parenting is that my children are constantly bringing home new colds um new sort of sickness bugs um and i do get a fair share of them myself too so trying to keep on top of things like vitamin c and um, selenium and various supplements that can help to support your immune system as well as making sure that things like your vitamin d and, and your iron levels are optimal those can support your immune system too so um yeah just worth sort of touching on those as a parent as well i think because they can form a really good foundation um to our health when we're kind of being hit from all sides that (laughs) all the things that parenting kind of throws at us too
0: great practical tips and advice to wrap up the show with Thank, thank you so much for being here with us Rachel and for sharing your experience with the listeners with all of us and for also just for all the important work that you do as a thyroid advocate and a speaker and author I know you've inspired and empowered just thousands of patients. So thank you on behalf of me and the listeners today.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's, um, it's been a really, really interesting topic to talk about. So thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Where can people find you online?
1: Yes yeah, so I'm across uh, Facebook Instagram Twitter um and my website if you just stick uh, the invisible hypothyroidism into Google or any of those channels you will find me on there um I come up as Rachel Hill the invisible hypothyroidism um my social media I am really active on and you're free to reach out to me um on there obviously I can't give medical advice but I can certainly point you um to resources if you need them um on where to get sort of particular information on things if I can't help myself um and then my website the um I've been blogging and writing on there for about seven or eight years now um, and I believe I have over 600 articles on sort of all the areas of living with thyroid disease on there so if you're looking for information on anything from different thyroid medication options and understanding your test results to parenting and flare days and um, employment and working with thyroid issues, then it's all, it's all in there. So um, yeah, hopefully um, whatever you're looking for, I've covered it. And if I haven't let me know (laughs) as I am constantly um, adding to my list of topics to make sure we get talking about more often.
0: Awesome. I will put those links in the show notes for the listeners as well. And don't forget to check out Rachel's newest book, Thyroid Superhero, A Kid's Guide to Understanding Their Grown-Ups Hypothyroidism. Uh, Is that available just anywhere books are sold? Yes, anywhere you usually find them. Um, Amazon in particular,
1: um, I think, is the obvious one. But um, yeah, that should be worldwide as well. Um, But if you're having issues, uh, reach out to me. I do have um, a stack here in my home office too, so I can
0: always personally send them out if you have any problems. And for the listeners, if you're a parent who has had to learn how to juggle parenthood with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's, we'd love to hear what your biggest challenges have been or what you found that has maybe helped you along the way. So if you're watching on YouTube, drop a comment for us below. And if you've enjoyed today's show, please don't forget to like subscribe or leave a review. You taking that extra second really does so much to support Thyroid Healthy Bites. Thank you for sharing this time with us today. I'm Jenny Mahar wishing you the best of health. See you next time.